Um, we are looking at another very familiar story uh, that if you've been around church at all, uh, you've probably heard it. You probably heard it in VBS maybe back in the day. Uh, it's a, a familiar narrative. And it's one that, just like the other ones we've looked at, can easily be kind of twisted into championing human spirit and you know the, uh, the ability for man to overcome adversity if he really tries. And uh, that's not at all what this story is about, uh, nor any story in God's Word. This is a story that screams God's supreme sovereignty, um, His mercy on sinful people, broken people, and His provision for them in the person of Jesus Christ. So the story that we're going to tackle tonight is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's right. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 3. I'm not going to read verses 1 through 30, but that's where we're going to be camped out. Uh, I do want to kind of paraphrase the story just in case maybe you're not familiar with it or maybe it has been a long time. Um, So I do want to tell you a little bit about it. Uh, You basically have a king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And in our, in our situation tonight, he kind of represents um, culture. He kind of represents culture, and, and he's just built this enormous golden statue, and he calls basically everyone, every politician within the land, every person within the land, he's built this golden statue. People kind of debate what it, what it was and what it meant. But at the end of the day, it was kind of his defiance towards God saying, you're going to worship either me or this God that I've created. So he gathers, I mean, just think of the U.S. He gathers all of the land, all, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, I don't care if you're Episcopalian, Christian, you're all coming, and you're going to worship this statue that I've built, made of pure gold. So that happens, and he tells people, come and worship it. Now look at verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you're to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." you've got these three guys, you've probably heard their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were God's people. They were Israelites. And in this time, in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, a lot of people were Israelites and Christians who had been in, they were in captivity. They were taken captive from their land, brought over to Babylon. That's where Nebuchadnezzar is. So these three guys, and it's pretty, it's, it's kind of um, alarming to consider out of the thousands of people who are there going, oh, okay, okay, cool, we'll worship it. Three guys were faithful. Three. So you have three Christians who are going, um, yeah, we're not going to conform. Like, we're not going to conform regardless of the circumstances. Look in verse 16. This is their response when Nebuchadnezzar's like, uh, I don't know if you heard me, dudes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, 
Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I want you to remember this about the Bible. It's real, okay? And these are real stories, and these are real humans. I know sometimes we, we kind of put a candy coating over Scripture and like, oh, they're superheroes. Maybe they existed. Maybe they, these are three young men who have just said, we're not going to conform, and we might have just signed our death warrant. I mean, literally, they just said, God, if he wants to rescue us from this weird situation, he can, but he might not. And we, we might be thrown into fire and burn up. But so be it. I mean, just let the, remember that, okay? Remember, this is, this is real. Well, what happens when you, when you don't conform? What happens when you refuse to conform, when the pressure's mounting? There's consequences. There's consequences to all of us not conforming, right? Look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. So he is ticked off. He goes, oh, you want to play that game? You're not going to bow down to my false idols, to my false gods? Heat this up seven times more than it usually is and throw these jokers in. Well, in the, mean, in the, in the middle of doing that, they heat it up. It gets so hot, two of his guards who were just within the region get burned up. They weren't even in it. It was that just crazy out of control And then look at verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. So they get chunked in. Worship my false god or get burned up. Those are your options. They chose this one and they get thrown in. Well, much to everyone's dismay, they look down and they see these three guys kind of walking around, you know, taking selfies. Like, wait a minute, two guys just died because they were close to it. Now these three guys are in it, and, like, they're walking around. And wait, didn't we throw three? Why is there four? I see four in there. Didn't we put three in there? That's kind of confusing, is it not? Look at verse 24 and 25. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to him, said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Three guys refused to bow down to false gods, thrown into a blazing hot fire. They walk out completely unharmed or even smelling like smoke. How does this preach the gospel, and how do we apply it to our lives? I got three ways I'm going to break it down for you. The first is this, subtle and not so subtle, cultural pressure. I want to start first kind of with the obvious pressure that was placed upon God's people to conform to the world around them. It's easy for us to import ourselves into this story now, isn't it? Just saying it like that. Unless you've never felt any cultural pressure to conform to the world around you. In this case, though, it seems not so subtle. I mean, this wasn't like a suggestion to bow down and worship. It was a demand. 
Now, I don't think that Nebuchadnezzar was necessarily concerned with the authenticity of their worship. He just wanted to make sure that every other form of worship was subordinate below that. Uh, Keep your religions, keep your beliefs or whatever. Just don't let them show up in your life. Okay? You're making a statement when you hear the music and when you bow down that that's number one. And this is the subtle way in which our culture puts the pressure on. Because in your context at school or wherever you're at, you might not have thrown right in front of your face, hey, do this or we're going to throw you into my parents' oven. It might not be that in your face. It's probably more subtle, isn't it? Now, um, I'm not good at understanding women. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm, It's not the spiritual gift that I was given. And so God loves to rub that in my face by allowing me to live with four of them. Um, although I am, I'm making strides. I recently got in from Amazon a book on understanding women. They just finished it. Um, and I'm right, I'm like right in the middle. I'm further than this guy, so I'm doing better. But anyway, us dudes, we just, that's not what we do. Okay, we don't. We don't get you. And we'll never get you, okay? We're just not. Let's just settle it right here, right now. We're not going to, don't you get what I'm saying? No. No, we don't. We do not, okay? It's just not how we're wired. We really do not. But sometimes it's hard for dudes to pick up even on the subtle little hints, you know, that a girl's given. Uh, Just just take me and my spouse. Take me and and my wife. Um, Hey, where do you want to go to eat tonight? Oh, I don't care. You know, wherever you want to go. It doesn't matter to me. Totally doesn't matter. Okay, you sure, hon? Like, wherever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. Totally doesn't matter. Okay. Um, let's, let's, let's hit the Hueys. Have, have you ever had the soup at Nukes? It is, like, so good. Oh, cool. All right, so to Hueys we go. Oh, man, they have those little breadsticks at Nukes. They are so bay. Oh, cool. So, anyway, back to the cheese fries I'm, I'm headed towards. Yeah, nukes. Oh, that place is good. And, you know, they could go on this like this for 12 minutes until it's like, oh, oh, wait, so you didn't mean we can go anywhere. You want to go to nukes, we have to go to nukes, right? Yeah, okay. But it's subtle, you know, just kind of subtle. I'm just throwing these little subtle things out there. Not really blatant, you know, it's just kind of subtle. And our culture is wonderful in this area. Because, listen, we live in a a religious culture. We live in a spiritual culture. It's a tolerant culture, right? You do you, I'll do me. If it's true for you, then that's good. You know, we're tolerant and, and, and we're spiritual and we're religious. And you just do you, okay? As long as it doesn't show up anywhere around here. Uh, keep your little Jesus stuff. You can, you can keep it on Twitter. You know, you can, you can retweet little Bible verses. You can say cute little cliche things. You can, you can keep it in your little church prison cells. But don't bring this stuff out there. Don't bring this stuff. I, I don't want to see it show up in your life. Don't bring it into the real world. Don't talk about the unborn here. You don't do that. Don't talk about what God intended marriage to be and who he intended that to be. Between. Don't talk about that. Don't talk about, in a science classroom, uh, intelligent design. You can be spiritual, do your stuff. That's, that's fine. It's down here. 
don't let it show up in the real world. And this is what our culture does in so many different ways. Uh, when I was younger and I heard sermons surrounding this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they used to really freak me out. They used to haunt me because it was kind of uh, phrased in a way of, what would you do? You know, would you be a Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego? What would you do? And I, I just remember going, oh my gosh, like, what, what, what would I do? Would I be a coward and, and just go, okay, the music's there, I don't want to die. You know, what, what do I do? And then they used to kind of haunt me until I realized kind of two things. One is this, you know what? I've never been in a life or death situation where I have to do or say a thing or else I'm going to die. And, and so God hasn't given me that grace that I might need to be able to say, sure, burn me up. I'm not there, so I don't need that kind of supply of grace. And then the other thing that really got me when I began to think about it is, what would I do if I was ever in a situation where it was, it was a choice between worshiping false gods and worshiping the true God? Oh, no, what would I do? And then it hit me. I'd do that every day. Like, I'm in this position every day. I'm faced with this all the time. Not just daily, hourly. It's going on in my heart all the time. Will the Lord God Almighty have primary allegiance in my heart and in my life, or will I bow down to idols? And aren't there millions of little golden statues out there for us? And don't they glitter? I mean, don't they sing? For many, I think in this context... It was very much me in high school, and I think it's a lot of you. For many, one of your biggest golden statues is just the acceptance and the approval of, of other humans. That's your golden statue. And, and the cost, it might be hurting others. It might be using all of your time or money. Uh, it might be keeping silent about truth. It might be totally ignoring God's call to mental and physical purity until marriage. It might cost you all of that but you're willing to pay that price to bow down and worship the God of being accepted, being approved by people. Because if not, you'll get tossed into the furnace. What does that furnace look like? The furnace of isolation. The furnace of, of not dating. The, the, the furnace of, of loneliness. The furnace of being labeled as a, as a weirdo, as a goody-goody, as a church kid. That, that's a dangerous furnace, isn't it? That's a hot one. C.S. Lewis, he actually speaks about this very thing. People wanting to be kind of on the inner circle. He calls it, he calls it the inner ring. And this is what he says of, of, of the inner ring. He says, of all the passions, and we have plenty of passions everywhere, don't we? Of all the passions, the passion for the inner ring is most skillful in making a man who is not a very bad man do very bad things. Dang, was C.S. Lewis a youth pastor? <laughs> this desire, this passion to be loved and liked and expected, accepted and fit, that's a passion who can take someone and that passion can make them do very bad things. What statues are you battling with right now? What are, what are your golden statues? They're probably not literally a 90-foot statue. But what are they that glitter and that you bow down to? 
Second point is this. It's a little bit shorter. Um, a God who never abandons his own. A God who never abandons his own. Thankfully, listen, at least for the Christian. Okay? God doesn't throw out a big net on all of humanity and go, well, as long as you humans uh, try hard, as long as you're a decently moral and decently good boy or good girl, I'm going to be there for you. That's how the world likes to think of kind of this Santa Claus, Jesus, old you know, guy in the sky. It's not the God of this book. For his own, for those who are in Christ, there's comfort. It looked like bad news for these three dudes, right? Hmm, we're being faithful. God told us to, to worship only him, so, so we're doing that. And now we're about to get toasted. Or so it seemed, right? But the very character of God is this, not to abandon his people. Now, there's a lot of speculation of who is this fourth person in the fire. You know, you have these three guys, they go in, they were bound, and all of a sudden they're unbound, you know, like playing like ping pong or something. And all of a sudden there's this fourth. Well, some people say it's a Christophany. That would basically mean um, a physical appearance of Jesus before the incarnation, before he was born, Jesus is back in the Old Testament. Personally, that's what I think it is. Uh, Some say it's just an angel, an angel of God. It really doesn't matter because here's the point. It's, It's God's physical presence in the midst of the fire with his people. That's, that's really what matters. It was God's physical demonstration that, hey, I'm not going to abandon you as hot as it gets or as dangerous as it feels or looks or seems or as overwhelmed as you're going to be. I'm not going to abandon you in the middle of this very real. Again, think about this. This stuff happened. Three guys, they see a furnace. They're being taken over there. It's real. So in the midst of this very real, very scary, potentially hurtful trial, not going to abandon you. God was with them. Hmm, where else have we heard that? Where else have we heard that? I don't know. Maybe John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're about to be singing Emmanuel a bunch at Christmas. Do you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. And so what we have is this. God is with us in the person of Jesus. God leaves his throne, and in Jesus, he comes down to our stinky, messy, broken ghetto to be here with us in this fire called life. Jesus leaves riches without measure. He knew no sin, and he comes. He leaves a palace to hang out in a ghetto with a bunch of poor people. And get this, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke when they came out. I mean, isn't that amazing? I mean, do you know what that means? Here's, here's what it shows. It shows the completeness of his rescue and protection. The fact that they didn't even look or smell like smoke shows the completeness of his protection. You remember what we just sang? The wrath of God now fully satisfied. That means we don't walk through the fire and he just lets us get a little bit burnt to teach us a lesson or to show us. He doesn't just kind of stomach us and go, ugh, fine. I'll, I'll clean you up and I'll save you. But gosh, you reek. I still smell your lust. 
I still smell your obsession with your with your physical appearance. I still smell your gossip. I still smell your 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 unlovingness that you think you're better than other people. I, st- I still smell it. Ugh. But I'll 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 get you into heaven. But just stay over there because you reek like a campfire. They didn't even smell like smoke. His salvation is complete. Paul said there is no condemnation, none for those who are in Christ. So quit trying to pay for your sins. You can't. Quit trying to beat yourself up and hide in shame and guilt. It doesn't do anything. Quit trying to do better. Accept. Throw yourself on the mercy of God knowing that Jesus paid it all. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Just a few centuries earlier, the prophet Isaiah, he penned in Isaiah 43 this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Man, I wish we had a song that we sung that had those lyrics. Maybe one day, maybe one day. And a few centuries later, people get to witness that. They get to see that very thing taking place. The promise is not that you won't get near the water. The promise is not that you won't get near flames. That's not God's promise. He's not promising a trial-free, easy life. Hey, just say some words about Jesus, and life's going to be awesome. That's not what he's saying. He's going, no, you're going to get near water. In fact, you're going to get in it. You're going to get near fire. In fact, you're going to get in it. But here's my promise. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you, and that makes all of the difference. Ian DeGood, a guy who's a commentator, says this. He says, trials provide the context in which the faith of believers shines with unmatched clarity before the eyes of a watching world. God's promise to his people is real and it's lasting. And when we walk faithfully through trials with God by our side, the world watches and they see that we're handling life somehow differently. Last point and then we're done and I'll be brief. A God who abandoned his own. Huh? What in the world are you talking about? Your last point just said God never abandons his own. And yet your third point is a God who abandoned his own. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. There was one time in history when he did abandon his own. You know who it was? It was his very own son. When Jesus passed through the waters... There was no one beside him. When when the wrath, when the fire of God's holy wrath poured out towards sin was aimed square at Jesus on the cross, there was no one to alleviate and relieve his pain. There was no one with him. When the final enemy, death, came knocking on his door, there was no one to alleviate that. He was abandoned. He was alone on a cross. He was utterly alone and completely abandoned. Why? Why would God take these three little 
little Jewish boys who were just obscure and insignificant and sinful and weak, and he would protect them. He would be with them in a fire. They wouldn't be hurt. But his perfect son, who never did a thing wrong, Jesus, who came to this earth and never did a thing wrong, why would he abandon him and not them? Why would he abandon him and not me? Because God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's called the gospel. You know, I'm 3% at best of the faithful follower that these three guys were. Shadrach, Meshach, and I'm, I'm, I'm maybe 3% of the, of the men that they were. I mean, I bow down daily to golden statue, statues, and because of that treason, you know what I deserve? I deserve every ounce of God's wrath in a fire. You know what I get? I get his adoption as a son. I, I'm accepted. I'm free. I'm loved. I'm not just stomached. I'm not just, oh, get in here. I guess you're a church kid. I'm accepted. God delighted to save me and the perfect obedience of his son and his righteousness is now credited to my account through faith. Not because of stuff I'm doing and, oh, I'm just, I'm a good God. But through faith, I just flung myself upon Jesus and said, I'm, I'm broken. I'm worthless. I don't have anything. I don't have any bargaining chips to bring to the table here. I can't say, well, I'm going to play guitar and lead people in worship to you. I'm going to do that. Now, why don't you accept me and just kind of overlook this sin, this rebellion? I just said, Jesus, I, I, just have me. And that offer stands to you. And not every one of you have, have ever thought of it like that. And not every one of you in here have ever flung yourself upon God's mercy and said, just have me. There's so many questions I need answered, but I do know this. I'm falling short of your glory. Here's my life. Take it. So in closing, I want to ask you, is this fourth man in the fire yours? I'm not asking, do you think it's a sweet story or kind of a cool notion? Oh, that sounds kind of like a cool fable. Why didn't that make it into some kind of, you know, mythology book? I'm not asking that. I'm asking, is he yours? Because if he is, let me tell you this, your life is going to look different. Listen, you're going to be tempted to bow. You're going to be tempted to bow a lot. But you'll fight to honor the one who took the penalty because of our bowing. Is he yours? Is Jesus yours? Let me pray. Father, you spoke to us through your word. You've spoken to us through your son, Jesus, your physical expression of you. You've spoken to us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. And sadly, we continue to bow down to the golden statues. We all do it. And yet, it's not because of our good or our clean record that you accept us. It's because of your record, your son's record, that you can accept us. Lord, I pray for those who don't know him tonight. 
who are only relying upon their goodness and their morality and their okayness, would you show them who they are before you, a holy God, and would you reveal to them the Son who delights to jump in the fire and be burned on their behalf? Give us Jesus, Lord. That is all we need. We ask it in his name. Amen.